Colossians 2 and 3 to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 4. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having buried with him in having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Thank you, Raleigh, for that reading. 
Hopefully, just in the reading of that text, you have again been enamored with Christ. This morning, I would like us to take uh, a, a bit of time and consider this thing of baptism. You know, if you were from uh, outside the Christian world, and you knew nothing of these Christians, and you saw them doing a baptism, you would wonder, what in the world are these people doing? Of all the things that would have religious symbolism, why would one pour water or dunk one in water? Sometimes I wonder if we as well as the church um, are not quite as clear ourselves in exactly what is happening in baptism. Is baptism merely the next step in being a Christian? Is it the way you become a church member? Is it just something we do? Or, as I will attempt to argue this morning, it is an image of the most central reality of our faith. It is a participation with Christ. And hopefully as we consider this this morning, and then as we go to the river and we are baptized and we baptize and we observe baptism, we will again have our faith renewed in the amazing work of Christ. My text this morning is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. I've entitled the message, Buried with Christ, the Nature and Purpose of Baptism. Romans 6, I'll begin reading at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who would have brought, as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. I believe that baptism is an image of the greater reality that is being worked out in the story of the world, in the story of the church, and in the story of each individual. Baptism represents glorious spiritual realities and very tangible earthly realities. As I interacted in in a sermon before, I believe one of the spiritual lies we believe is this separation of the spiritual and the physical, where we exist in this physical world to attain something spiritual, or we merely live in a spiritual world and it has no effect on our physical world. And I believe the person of Christ is the death knell to either of those arguments because he came fully God, but yet fully man. And he connected the transcendent, the spiritual, with the physical. And he comes to restore us, each of us, to wholeness. Because we ourselves will live in this fragmented state. where we chase after our own lordship. We chase after our own autonomy. We wish to be our own king. But in reality, what happens is we end up being our own slave master. You see, one who believes himself to be free from God and free from obedience to God is one who has made himself a slave of himself and a slave of his own desires, which will bring death. And Jesus comes to bring life, to free us from the slavery of ourself, to free us from the sinfulness that will destroy us. Let us consider Again, what happened in the Garden of Eden, where man pursued his own glory 
chase after his own image, away from the image of God. And God's pronouncement upon all humanity from that point on is death. That we would be away from him and we would be accursed with the curse of death. But God was not finished with that story. He was not willing that this creation that he created to bring him glory would suffer and die in their alienation from him. And in their inability to rescue themselves, God sends his son. His son to take that sentence of death. Consider the imagery that we see here. In verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. The idea here is that when, when Christ died on the cross... Those who are in him, those who are the elect of God, are dead with him on the cross. Our sin, our brokenness, is hanging on that cross. The sentence of death for the rebels is carried out in full. Christ bears the penalty of death all who will call upon his name. And if we are buried with him in that death, then he bears our sin. And so, as we take an individual who has declared their faith and trust in Christ, and as we bury them in the water, what that individual saying is that I have buried my life, my sin, in Christ's death. Christ is buried in the grave. I am buried in the water. I am with him, and I am trusting that his death and his burial will satisfy for mine. That as he died, that that was sufficient that that death was sufficient to bear the penalty of my death, of my sin, of my alienation. And so first of all, as we consider baptism, we consider ourselves, first of all, dead to sin, but then second of all, alive to Christ. And so that Jesus didn't stay dead. And in the same way, as we participate in baptism this afternoon, we hope the individual doesn't stay under the water. We bring them up. And in the same way, the God of creation reached into that tomb and brought his son up. And he conquers death. 
once and for all. If you refer back to the Colossians passage that Raleigh read, the Christ died once for all. And how that applies into each of our lives. And sometimes I think we still live under the sentence of death. We allow ourselves to remain under the sentence of sin when we do not reckon that Christ has paid all. And so we might have this idea that if we come to Christ, if we repent, that he will forgive us of our past sin. But I believe that image is incomplete. Because in the death of Christ, he not only died for our past sin, but he died for our present sinfulness, and he died for our future sin. He died for all of them once for all. And far too often, we live thinking we still have to pay a little bit of penalty. That we still have to make something happen within to finish the deal. Once for all. Now, the Apostle Paul knows exactly where human minds will say that, well, now we're free. Sin means nothing. And he says, are we to sin, in verse 15, because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. To see Christ bearing the penalty of all as the freedom to somehow sin is a gross misunderstanding of what happens in the gospel. Because it only looks at the first part. It only looks at the burial part. It doesn't consider the resurrection that occurs to Christ and occurs in the life of every believer. And so first of all, we consider ourselves dead to sin. And this has two effects. We can live in the freedom knowing that Christ has paid for sin. He knows us. He knows our sin better than we know ourselves. He knows the sins we're committing in our minds right now. He knows every bit of our selfishness. He knows every bit of our unloveliness towards each other. He knows everything. He knows the sin about us that we don't even know about ourselves. And he pays it all. And he sets us free not to be slaves to sin. Meaning, A, we don't have to sin. We can bear his character. But B, we're not slaves to the death that results to sin. We can live in life. We consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. And so because we are now free from the penalty of sin, his second instruction is that we do not let sin reign over our physical body. He uses the language, the mortal body, a spiritual reality. Christ dying in our place is a spiritual reality. It happened in a physical, 
reality. Christ actually did die. Christ actually was physically resurrected. But the spiritual reality is that we're free. But that spiritual reality penetrates our hearts and affects our mortal life, affects our physical bodies. And so step one in that is we don't let sin reign over our physical body. The idea of reigning is to have lordship over, to allow something to be the king of us. And the death of Christ frees us to not be our own king, but to allow him to be our king. And then thirdly, we present ourselves as a slave to God rather than as a slave to unrighteousness. We have now changed allegiance. Christ has made the way that he can now be our king. He can be our slave owner. And instead of being a slave, as most of the world is, to the devil, I was interacting uh, with a man the other evening and um, just considering some of the problems in our world. And, and he looked at me and he said, most Christians act like they don't understand who's the king of the world. They see all this brokenness. They see all this evil. They see all these wars. They see abortion. They see politicians being corrupt. And they want to fix them. They want to bring about a Christian program that's going to fix them. They forget that the king of the world, right here and now, is the enemy of God. And he is about his work. And it shouldn't shock us that the king of the world, the devil, is running it. We forget that there's another king that's going to come, and he's going to defeat that king. And he's going to triumph. We present ourselves as a slave to God rather than a slave to unrighteousness. We see in verses 12 then through 14, three particular instructions. Again, the first was that we don't let sin reign in our mortal bodies. And and third, secondly, we don't present our members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but we present ourselves to God. We don't continue to stand in the way of sin. You could also say there, do not be present with your members in sin. The language here indicates uh, something like to be present is to stand around. And so because we have been brought to life, because we have been buried and raised again, then we can live around God. We can stand around in his presence. Uh, Loitering is encouraged. And we're not to do that with sin. We're not to stand around with sin. We're not to loiter around sin and around the places of brokenness that lead us astray. We all know this. 
if you eat too much chocolate, don't buy it. It's that simple. Maybe. Um, But it's all of that with our appetites. If we don't stand around them, they won't continue to grow. Because as you know, an appetite doesn't stay flat. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger because we stand around it. And in the same way, we are to stand around Christ. And the more we stand around Christ, the more our appetite for who he is, for his nature, for his character, will grow in us, will be born in us. I think this idea of standing in is is the difference between a child ignoring its mother's instructions and crawling through the mud puddle. That's standing in the mud puddle. But you would have a very different reaction if the child is by the side of the road and a car runs by and hits the mud puddle and some of the mud splashes on the child. You have a very different reaction. And it's the same for us as Christians. We do live in a broken world. There's lots of mud puddles. And every once in a while, our nature, the actions of others, that mud, that sinfulness gets thrown on us. And we deal with that. We pursue it. We put it to death. But we don't go stand in the mud puddle. And so finally here, baptism, I believe, makes three clear statements. First, my sin and my old man was crucified with Christ on the cross and buried with him in the tomb. And I am declaring that my hope for the redemption of my soul and the redemption of my body and the death for my sins is entirely placed on Christ. And so I would encourage you, as you watch these be baptized, that that's what's reciting in your mind. Just like them, my sin is in Christ. I have been buried in Christ. And I choose Christ to be my king. I willingly take a vow of slavery to him. And as you see them come up, we glory in the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of each one of us. Having been rescued from a body of sin and brought to newness of life. And our commitment there is, I will stand in his presence and I will flee the house of sin. I have been resurrected. Uh, To conclude here, I'd like to make a couple of statements regarding baptism, and these are a little bit disconnected from the text. Um, From the text, I'd really like us to carry those three ideas, that I have been buried with Christ, and he has borne all of my sin, and that I choose him to be my slave master, and that I will stand in his presence and flee the house of sin. That's what baptism is saying. It's not just 
something we do. Here at Calvary, uh, we view water baptism, and this is a direct quote from, uh, from our baptismal policy statement. Um, if you'd like to see that, we could definitely share it with you. We view water baptism as a congregational ordinance whereby the candidate publicly identifies himself as a disciple of Christ. So this is an individual statement by these four to say, Christ is my Lord. I accept his bearing of my sin. Secondly, within that statement, it says this, while baptism is not the same as church membership, it is not to be divorced from church membership. That is, one who is not ready or willing to move forward in the process of becoming a member of a local church is not to be baptized. Um, And that's probably a little stronger statement than maybe we've, we've practiced. And... I simply want to take a a little bit of moment here to say, while baptism is not church membership, they cannot be divorced. And I think some of you here have gladly accepted the one and have not submitted to the other. And I don't say this to chide you or to say, now, come on, do what you're supposed to do. But to encourage you to say that maybe you're missing out on a significant piece of what it means to be a Christian. So just a little plug for membership. I personally can't conceive of being a Christian without participating in the body of Christ in some form. It's an idea that's foreign to Scripture. And so let's consider the Old Testament. The children of God, the people of God, they were a body. They gathered at the temple. They did the things that that group did. They identified themselves with that group. They were a member of that group, and they were very careful about who was and who wasn't. And there's particular ways to figure that out. In the New Testament, I think there's three primary reasons. And first, it's immediately upon the preaching of the gospel, we have an assembly. An assembly that knew who they were, that knew what their, word, their, their needs were, and cared for each other. And they knew who was in, and they knew who was out. Second, most of our scriptures are written to bodies of believers. They're written to churches. They're not written to individuals. And to me, this is the strongest proof, if you want to say, for organized church membership. The Bible is not written to individuals. It's written to churches. And secondly... Or finally, the Christian life is best walked in brotherhood. Again, the tone and tenor of Scripture is that these ideas are walked out in brotherhood and not walked out alone. And so I ask you, if, if you've been here for three, four, five, seven years, and you haven't become a member 
Again, I'm not scolding you. I'm, I'm asking you to consider being obedient to Scripture. And finding what God has for you in membership. Now, we also um, practice what we call believer's baptism or credo baptism. And I'll make a a little bit of an argument for that as well. Um, And so in summary, um, in that original statement, we baptize someone who is able to exhibit independent, credible, and creed-based faith. And so let me kind of build that out a little bit. They exhibit independent faith. It is faith that is theirs. It doesn't come about by the push of society or the push of individuals, but it's their own faith that they bear. Um, Secondly, it is is creed-based. The individual is able to understand the realities of the gospel and the realities of what God has done for them. And is able to understand, again, we're saying, I cast my lot with Christ. I submit myself to his lordship. There's a certain maturity level that's necessary to be able to do that. And so, um, I think as we see in this text, that the believer is one who understands these truths and has accepted them with, with sober, rational intention. And in that, I would speak to you children who are here. I think God asks people of all ages to trust Him. And I encourage you, wherever you are, to say yes to Christ. To consider baptism, to request baptism when you you come to that place. And I encourage you to interact with your parents. If you have a question in your mind, like, at what point should I be baptized? And if you want to have a conversation with one of the elders, if you want to talk to your parents, that's something I encourage you to do. Again, we practice believer's baptism. Um, and as our forefathers, uh, we reject a uh, we reject what what they refer to as infant baptism, and I'd like to make some clarifications. We reject as well infant baptism that is territorial-based and is said to confer salvation. And I think we would reject that as unorthodox. We also have a wide swath of the church that sees infant baptism as a conferring of the covenant, an extension of circumcision in the Old Testament. They do not see it as conferring salvation. I would say we accept those as brothers, but we believe differently. Um, And I don't think we have to necessarily draw that separation. Um, Again, as I read Scripture, I, I can't make that argument work. And my clear conviction is that Baptism flows from a mature, adult profession of faith. But we don't necessarily need to throw stones at people um, who believe in the extension of the covenant and see them as unorthodox, 
Again, if someone believes that baptism confers salvation, whether that's an infant, whether that's an adult, whether that's anything, I believe that is outside orthodoxy and outside Christianity. I would encourage us to give charity um, to our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ around us. And I'd be happy to interact with anybody on kind of these, these summary statements. I, I felt it necessary to consider the spiritual realities, but also to say, this is what we here at Calvary believe and how we function in baptism. If we could have a song, Evan, and then we'll uh, proceed with the testimonies. <laughs>